let's face it. Whether you're hiring or trying to find work today, the process has become tougher than ever. Between ghost listings, AI-powered applicant tracking systems, and job scams, how do you know if your resume or your job posting is even being seen by an actual human? That's why we've relaunched our job board to help you find your next opportunity. And if you're a company that's hiring right now, then we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of podcast listeners for just $99. Get started with us and expand your job search or your recruiting efforts today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast. A weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Revision Path is supported by Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They are always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is supported by the School of Visual Arts BFA Design and BFA Advertising Programs. SVA values originality and critical thinking while providing students an immersive learning experience with their faculty of industry experts. The BFA Design Program empowers students with the tools and opportunities to shape the future of design. And the BFA Advertising Program equips students with the skills in media and new tech needed to excel in the advertising industry. Learn more at sva.edu and enroll today to join one of the most influential artistic communities in the world. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. In order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. If you're in a position to help us grow, here's how you can contribute. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Chad Brown. Chad wears a lot of hats. He's an adventurer, an accomplished documentary-style portrait and adventure photographer, a creative director, a conservationist, and a filmmaker. He's the founder of two nonprofit organizations, Love is King and Soul River Inc., and a U.S. Navy vet. He's also the director, executive producer, and one of the stars of the upcoming documentary Black Waters, Brothers in the Wild. Check out the show notes for a link to the trailer. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Chad Brown. I'm the founder of two nonprofits, Soul River Inc., Love is King, and I'm also a creative slash film director that does uh, independent films around uh, BIPOC communities connected to the outdoors, as well as I'm a, an adventure uh, photographer. Well, first of all, you know, welcome back to the show. It's been a while. I remember 
when we recorded back in 2017, you were episode 175. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of in general, like how have things been going for you this year? Things been going really well. Been really, really busy. This year, I'm, I'm basically been juggling with my second nonprofit, Love is King, and the work and growing that at the same time, balancing a couple, you know, creative projects that I'm working on. One of the film projects that, which I just finished and with my team and which is called Black Waters. And that's going to be premiering August the 26th. And so I've been really working on trying to raise awareness and get people to know what's going on, what's up and what's coming down the pipes. And at the same time, I'm scheduling and reworking a whole new film piece centered around five women connecting into the outdoors and a survival, five black women, actually. And the name of that film is called Mother. And that one takes place up in the Arctic Circle, centered around conservation, indigenous and the survival of a black woman. And, and how does that look when they're moving through the outdoors? And so this whole new film is something that I'm, uh, I'll am i be launching next week, actually. Be shooting, starting shooting that next week. Oh, nice. So you've got a, a busy summer <laughs> ahead, it I, looks like. I do. I do. A pretty busy summer. But that's kind of been my style of just, you know, not being stagnant. I'm constantly moving and shaking. <laughs> Well, let's dive into the film. You know, I mentioned this before we started recording. I watched it twice. Great film. It's called Black Waters, Brothers in the Wild. Tell the audience about it. The film is interesting. They keep it as streamlined as possible. We have five black men from five different backgrounds, five different lives, five different stories, five different challenges of how each one of us moves through this world as a black man. Bringing these five men together, which I'm one of them, into an outdoor space centered around the backcountry, the most wildest backcountry in the world, which is the Arctic Circle, and dropping ourselves into this wild space and taking on the challenges of not just nature, but also taking on the challenges of many different issues that unravels within each one of us as we go on this adventure together. These unravels that uh, becomes topics like, you know, dismantling masculinity in the outdoors and, and what does that look like as a black man and how do we approach that and how do we move through that in an outdoor setting? Then also tapping on topics of uh, mentorship and then also tapping on topics of dealing with from, from stereotypes to and how we were raised and and the fear of the outdoors and, and trying to understand, like, where does that fear come from? Is something that we project or that's historical generational fear that comes into play? It's five black men that moves through with challenging topics that relates that's centered around conversations in the wild at the same time of moving through this journey together. And we are learning from one another and creating a really interesting brotherhood in the wild and experiencing conservation issues that are in that same space that we move through. And we are challenged through those conversations, I mean, through the conservation issues into some really interesting conversations that we have amongst each other in that dialogue. And so it's a heavy dialogue type of piece 
And uh, at the same time, it balances itself with this really interesting adventure. And of course, we're stepping into a place where pretty much BIPOC black folks has never ventured really to probably the safest way to say where this is the Arctic Circle and the most uh, far off regions and for anyone to be able to to get into a space like that. And so, yeah, in a nutshell, that's really what the film is about. I mean, that's a lot to pack <laughs> into a film. I, you know, it even, is. even as you say that, and like, you know, I've, I've watched it a couple of times now. Well, there's a couple of things that stick out. I think the main thing that stuck out to me was like, I wanted it to be longer. I felt like as soon as I really got into it, it was over. I was like, oh, that's, that's it. We could have went for another hour and I would have been yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. But I say that to say, I mean, I think one, that's just a, a testament to the compelling way that it's been put together and the, and the group of men that you've put together for this. So I'll name them. Yeah. Mention yourself, uh, James Edward Mills, Jamaica Dawes, Nick Brooks, and Alex Bailey. Uh, yes. the five of you together kind of going on this, uh, this sort of expedition. I'm curious, why did you choose Alaska and the Kobuk River? Aside from the, I think the harshness that you mentioned of the Arctic Circle, was there some other significance to it for each of you? I'm not for sure. Our, before the film kind of popped into play here, we actually found ourselves connecting on a local river in North Carolina uh, at an event that we were all attending. That was the first time that when we came together as some brothers on the water, we didn't really know each other really well, but the fishing was phenomenal and the friendship and the relationships that we built was awesome. It felt right. It felt nice of making these kind of connections uh, to each one of us who are, we are anglers. We never really been on the water with just brothers. It's been a mix of like black folks and white folks, et cetera, but actually having this river and us on this water brothers, it just felt good with all of us. And so that was when the spark of our relationships and the, you know, and the awesome synergy that started to take place. And I guess you could say we didn't really want this moment to leave us, even though that event was over and everybody's going at home. And so we stayed connected through that process. And we, through that connection, it was like, I was really getting caught up into from a creative standpoint, what could we do to kind of combine and tell this story tied into our friendship that we had on the water over the course of time, it evolved into the story of black waters. And I'm the one that, selected the Arctic Circle, I think for a couple reasons. I do a lot of expeditions up in the Arctic, you know, with my organizations. And I do a lot of work in the conservation space, me as a board member with Alaska Wilderness League and and working with the Gwich'in people there, et cetera. And I understand like on ground zero, that is ground zero for climate change or you know, you'll call it climate science, et cetera. And there's a lot of issues happening, especially with the whole recent projects happening with the oil industry that's coming and, and and trying to take up the land, et cetera. And so why? I believe because the sensitive areas that are happening up in the Arctic Circle and is tied in with the indigenous communities. And this is an opportunity to also bring this into a platform to share with more people. So more people could be able to have uh, an understanding or just have some knowledge on what's going on. And the Arctic is also, even to this day, I would call it, it's a white man's paradise of, mm. a, of an outdoorsman. It takes a lot of money to get up into that space, just as much 
as it takes a lot of money to get yourself a seat to go to the moon. Really, only the wealthy really plays in a space like that. If you're not a government employee or a scientist or some type of nonprofit worker activist that's tied into work on the conservation spaces, et cetera, and if you're not part of it, those are even you know, probably in, in oil industry, military, then you have to come out of your pocket in order to see a place like that. And you're talking a baseline of 75000 easily to be dropping. That's just getting there. That's not all the other things that, that you need in regards to the transportation and the food and everything or what it takes to really have a, engage into an Arctic experience. And so that can be an easily six-figure type of trip. And that's usually, we're talking about, that's usually coming from somebody that has a lucrative income that can be able to afford that and not be hurt by that financial you know, uh, uh, dollar that you're dropping there. And so going back to your question is that it shows representation that we can do it. There are BIPOC folks that are doing many phenomenal things and thriving in the backcountry and doing phenomenal adventures slash work, engagement, conservation, give back, et cetera. And we are in those spaces. We're not you know, really seen a lot, but we are in those spaces and maybe a little of us and everything. And so I selected the Arctic Circle just as a, I think this is an opportunity to display how we thrive in the backcountry as black men. And then also it displays the, the urgency of the issues that are happening in the Arctic Circle Tiding with the Gwich'in people and how the oil industry is definitely a threat to in the indigenous nations that are there. And it also speaks to the the endangerment of wildlife in the Arctic Wildlife Refuge. And, you know, but so, yes, so that's probably the why. And I gave you a lot of very long lengthy answer to that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that at the end of the, the documentary, there is a call to action for people to get involved with conservation of the area. But then also in the film, you're talking to people from the, you're talking to some of the Gwich'in people. Like I remember specifically right. you talk with Gideon, one of the elders, and yes. he, he said this one line that just like, it was the line that definitely drew me in. I think it was as y'all were like leaving his home. And he says like, remember when you go home, tell 10 or 20 people that we were here. That's and right. that was such a powerful line. Just, I think as a person of color, as a black person to hear that, like we were That's here. Right. Oh, and just by you saying that you just gave me goosebumps, you know? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We were here. Absolutely. Which in people are phenomenal people. And they are the people to that land, to the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. The Arctic National Wildlife Refuge is a government name of what we have named. But that land is has been there and has been there before it was named the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And, uh, and Gideon is an elder, one of the elders of the Arctic village. And, and he hasn't had a phenomenal life. You know, he's also a, uh, a U.S. veteran Marine. And it served his country. And, and so he's seen a lot and done a lot. And he's such a, a wonderful soul to be able to sit and speak to. He's an artist. He loves to share his culture, uh, the art. And he's a wealth of knowledge. He really, you know, spent some time really engaging with Gideon at his house. And he's very humble. 
And he's very proud of his people and the culture and the Gwich'in people. Are, they're, they're just a beautiful nation and it's pretty phenomenal. And it's a blessing. Again, it's a true blessing to be able to have the access and to bring these brothers up into that space, you know, to get there, their villages is located up on the North slope of the Brooks range inside the Arctic wildlife refuge. And you can't drive to a place like that. you got to fly there. You know, Bush plane will have to fly you in. It's a two hour flight from Fairbanks and you're definitely going way back country and you're going behind time. We're talking about the Arctic villages. Wow. You can, uh, I'm going to safely say is probably like 30 years behind our society. And it is kind of like going to like a third world country. And, and it's right in their part of the U.S., though. But they're proud, very proud people. They're connected to the land, 100, 100% substance of, who, of how they live their life. And they are the caribou people. They live their life along the caribou migration of the caribou. And their, all the storytelling is tied into the caribou. And that storytelling, which is tied into like the religious side of how we call Christianity or, or, or Judaism or whatever, they have story creations. And so, and those story creations are centered all around the life cycle of the caribou and how the caribou was formed and how they moved. There's a story to each part of that caribou to that relates to the caribou people, which are the Gwich'in people. You know, as I, you know, watch the documentary and especially as uh, there were sort of these vignettes of each of the men that were on the trip with you, you know, kind of talking about how they have come into this trip. And I don't know if you might have heard this as a comparison, but it reminded me of <laughs> it reminded me of camping episodes that you would see in sitcoms. And I mean that in interesting in a huh. good way, like even like <laughs> it was sort of like a common trope of 90s sitcoms, but like okay. it was a common trope of sitcoms, both black and white, mm-hmm. like Martin had a camping episode, Fresh Prince, Living Single. Even if we go back, like Sanford and Son had a camping episode. If we go, that's right. Blackish had a camping episode, but like those those sort of bottle episodes always kind of serve as a crucible for the characters to step outside of their normal routine and to talk about specific issues or to to fellowship in a way that they couldn't do in their sort of regular setting. So as I was watching it, that that sort of comparison stuck out. It really stood out to me a lot. I see. Maybe that was the, the subconscious coming me coming out of me as the director of the film. <laughs> I don't know, but you said it well, and you're right. I mean, the the camping pieces in there it sets the, the conversations and the tone and and the conversations. And I definitely wanted to make sure they were really engaging conversations. I worked with James Mills. He's who is one of the he's a really awesome, talented writer. You know, and he just recently became part of the National Geographic family as uh, an explorer writer, nice. uh, which was really, yeah, he's, he's a badass, <laughs> you know, he's <laughs> awesome dude. And so I worked with James to help create these interesting topics that help create these conversations. Like the behind the scenes, we had the, the layout of some really awesome topics. And so when we set that scene up in, you know, one of the camp scenes, et cetera, we would use that topic as a way to spark the conversations of what we needed to make it more as authentic as possible. It was just 
to spark it. And then however that lands, it lands and we just go with it and we start to speak into that. But yeah, that sitcom mindset of what you just shared with me, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. It's a yeah, for sure. So what do you want people to kind of get from the documentary? I mean, we're recording this right now, just so folks know we're recording this in July, but by the time this comes out, it'll be September. There will have been some screenings for the film. There'll be some also in the future. Like, what do you want people to get from it once they viewed it? I want people to to be able to walk away. So let's like talk about this. So two points to this is number one, we're going to have a mixed audience. We're going to have black folks, of course, that's going to come and check out the family. We're going to definitely have white folks that will definitely gravitate to checking out the film. From a black perspective, BIPOC, just say BIPOC, we're already into the outdoors, but what we want to them to, to, for folks to feel, to find inspiration in what we're doing and to want to explore more and go deeper to the, into our parks, our wildlife refuge, and just really engage into the outdoors and, and engage without the fear, right? Into this mountain, like what we're doing is definitely something that you don't find a lot of BIPOC going that far beyond into spaces like this. And mm-hmm. we, we want, you know, BIPOC communities to really find inspiration into wanting to explore adventure. And however adventure lands on you, that's your adventure. You don't have to go above beyond, but we want folks, BIPOC folks to be inspired and to want to explore more and feel good about it and, and know that they belong in that space just as much as everybody else. And this is their freedom to roam, to roam further and bolder and explore the wonders of what nature has to offer. From a white perspective, we want white folks to be able to walk away and take the time to think about the conversations that we have that could be able to play a role, especially amongst decision makers in the outdoor space of outdoor brand companies or in decision making positions that has the ability to make change. And that making that change is making things much more accessible, helping with creating more bridges to the outdoors, not to teach BIPOC folks really how to backpack, et cetera, because we are, we've been in these spaces. We've been around the outdoors many for many years, et cetera. It's really about working together to help create safe spaces in the outdoors for many BIPOC communities to feel comfortable. And when we can feel comfortable, then that comfort opens ourselves up to want to explore more and to experience what nature has to offer without the fear understanding the political climate that we are in, which is much more strong and richer when we talk about bigotry, hate, ignorance, and racism collectively as white folks and black folks and BIPOC, et cetera, we all come together. It takes a collective effort to be able to take a stand and face that and make spaces much more safe, especially in green spaces for all of us to be able to have a successful and enlightening experience. And that's what we want for everybody. And I think also with this film is to also create spaces for black men. 
there's many initiatives out there in our world, uh, urban world slash outdoor world. And there's really awesome initiatives of giving back and helping for little girls to LGBTQ, to cancer, to many, many issues out there and many great initiatives that are taking that on and people's creating these nonprofits, et cetera, even in the outdoor world. But you don't see really a lot of effort in putting initiatives into supporting young black boys and black men. And you don't see the platforms of black men that are in the outdoor spaces that are thriving. And that's, we want young black boys to see that, to make those connections and that representation, representation matters, right? You know, when you see black men that are kayaking, hiking, they're doing phenomenal things. They're, they are thriving, surviving, maybe flying planes, et cetera, whatever, bush planes, et cetera. That needs to be seen and it needs to be elevated just as much as any other initiative out there. That's important for young black boys in urban world to be able to see that. We have the, the NBA, we have the music, blah, blah, blah. But we have brothers out there that are really doing some phenomenal work in the outdoor world, just as much as a black park ranger. That should be on the pedestal. Young boys needs to see those kind of things that makes that connection and to be inspired and know that they can also explore and they can also find a career path in those spaces as well. I think everything, that whole takeaway is a collective effort of coming together. And it's not just a black thing, such as a white thing. It's what well, I'm hoping at the end, bigger conversations can take place, inspiration slash helping to create change and awareness, but coming together and collectively talking about it. As you saw in the film, there's many different conversations and topics, et cetera, that we are tackling and we're having conversations about. And as you said, that you wanted more, you wanted to see more. Well, this is the more, it's the aftermath. It's like when this film is done, the more is hoping that conversations can still be carried and helping to solve many different problems within our social justice space slash environmental justice space when it comes to BIPOC, recreating and advocacy in the outdoors, et cetera. I love that. I mean, and even when you say like the outdoors, I mean, I feel like that can take a couple of different forms. I mean, of course it can take the form that you're talking about where it's like deep in, in the woods or like, you know, in a, yeah. in a more exotic locale, but like it could also be running. It could be bird yeah, watching. It could be things like that. Even when I think about, I'm sort of thinking of like the intersection of where I've seen black people and nature over the past like i don't know five or six years of course you had the guy who got called out or i think some woman tried to call him out for bird watching in central park christian cooper you've got there was this guy i don't even know if he's still big anymore but there was this dude named brother nature that was doing all these sort of like interactions with animals and stuff but someone i'm thinking of now she's big on tiktok i, I don't know if she's big on any other platforms but uh this woman alexis nicole who's goes by the black forager who basically like yeah talks about yes. native <laughs> plants and things like that and gives like these great history lessons behind how all of this sort of came about and like how it shouldn't be this sort of trapped secretive sorts of you know sort of knowledge i feel like i don't know that's all maybe in the same realm but sort of attacking it the is. problem from different angles i don't know absolutely absolutely it is in the same angle you don't have to go above and beyond 
to get your adventure on. Mm-hmm. Your adventure could be right down the road into a park. We just want you to be able to feel inspired to explore, mm-hmm. right? And whatever, however that lands with you, that becomes your personal exploration, your walk, right? And learn and know that nature and nature is for everyone and nature is healing for everyone. Some of us don't understand how nature can be healing. And the ones who don't understand, those are really the ones we want to be able to capture and say, hey, you know, you find an inspiration and get out there and we can help you experience that adventure. And that adventure can can be part of your healing process in nature. But yeah, but many of those avenues that you mentioned, some of those folks you mentioned, absolutely, you know, and uh, the Black Forager, she's amazing. I follow her as well. She's amazing. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's funny, you know, I don't know, a sort of popular derisive comment that's come about in the last couple of years, but I've, I've heard it since I was a kid, but like telling people to go outside and touch grass, like really go outside and touch <laughs> some grass, like disconnect for a minute, get off the computer, spend a little yeah. bit of time. And even if it's just like standing in your yard or standing in your apartment complex's common area, or whatever, just like venture right. out into nature exactly <laughs> exactly you know here's one thing which I, I i'm always forgetting a lot um but it's so simple it's so simple that we don't think about it and it's not even part of our probably lifestyle i guess and it's so simple is that the next time you go outside take your shoes off and walk in the grass period it the grounding of that is phenomenal and not everybody does that. You know, it's just the most simplest thing. Take your shoes off and walk through the grass, walk mm-hmm. through the grass, walk through the sand and just feel what that feels like. You know, when you're just connecting to nature and just that grounding alone can just help greatly with the soul, with the healing, uh, clarity to the mind. You know, it's that grounding piece is just stepping outside, take your shoes off and walk to that grass, sit there for a second, mm-hmm. you know, sit down and let your feet just settle in that grass. But yeah, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. One thing that also is coming to mind is you sort of mentioned how you want people to, to, I guess, not only just receive the documentary, but also what to take away from it. I would hope is also safety, like yes. being safe yeah. in these spaces. I mean, I was asking about the locale because I'm like, oh, this is a pretty far out locale for you all to have shot this. But then I was thinking, like, could you have done the same thing in rural North Carolina and felt safe? I don't know. You want people to also be safe in these spaces. Absolutely. I don't know what the outcome would have been if we would have shot this in North Carolina. We could have shot it in North Carolina. We could shot it in, in any other place. And I think what gravitated me more to the Arctic is just that it's such a ground zero and it's a sensitive space to where it's kind of like the, the canary in a coal mine. What takes place up there is a domino effect that's going to be happening down in the lower 48 and understanding under the, the circumstances of the Willow project that's happening and fighting against the land and knowing that, you know, knowing how the oil industry is, is treating the indigenous, you know, populations there, et cetera. And it's such a, a tangled, complex argument slash fight up there tied in with the Willow Project. But it was also another opportunity to of the why that we wanted to do it up in the art, why I wanted to do it really up in the Arctic Circle to help raise an awareness throughout film, which 
that's what you have gathered already. But going to North Carolina and any other place, I don't know. And the safety, yeah, that's a that's a question mark because I've been in North Carolina a couple times and I got some family there. But there's also um there's a lot of racism down in North Carolina. And it's almost anywhere you go, regardless, but there's some resistance type of things that happens down there. And I don't know if we would have faced that or not. I have no idea, but that's definitely around in that state. It's, it's, uh, will we have faced that? I don't know, but the fear of it's not animals. The fear is, is people and it, and it's the ignorance mm-hmm. that lies in the people. And that's the fear. That's where we have to come together collectively to be able to create safe spaces and you're right safety safety is king for for all of us it's important to feel and to know that we are safe if we're not safe then it hinders the opportunity of exploring nature and getting out and we're going to want to stay in a probably most safest space and not go nowhere other than what our own concrete zone which is in the neighborhood or at home period mm-hmm. And in order for us to really get out and enjoy nature, especially BIPOC, we need to know that there is safe space there for us. When we understand that safe space is there, then, of course, the the welcome of the invitation to explore is it's not pulling teeth. It just happens by default, basically. But safety is king and and it's important. But that's a responsibility for all of us to be able to put in place, not just the ex- expectations. If there are expectations for BIPOC to be able to raise that flag and, and talk about it, but that's a collective effort uh, but from BIPOC and white folks coming together and working together to create these kind of safe spaces. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm from rural Alabama and I mean, there are definitely places I will not go to <laughs> if I go back <laughs> home. Cause I'm like, I know it is not safe because certain people feel a level of dominion, I could say over the land. Yeah. And like, you know, you don't want to go somewhere and then all of a sudden you're hearing gunshots and it's like, okay, this is not safe. <laughs> I right. feel like this is a good right. experience. So I completely understand that. Let's pivot from the documentary and talk more about what else you've been working on since 2017. And we'll have a link to the show notes to that interview because I really want people to to hear your story about how you came into being an adventurer, what this means to you. I think that interview does a great job of doing that. You mentioned Love is King, which is one of your nonprofit organizations. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that because you started that during the pandemic. Is that right? Yes, I did start that during the pandemic. The organization Love is King has been growing slowly and doing really, really well. It's inspired off of uh, Martin Luther King, of course, and the exercise of love in the community and how we can use love to bring people together, to raise awareness, to create, again, going back to what we were talking earlier and uh, tied into the outdoors is to create safe spaces collectively, working with many different races and, and companies and government companies coming together in the act of love to help support BIPOC communities connecting to nature. Love is King has two initiatives. You know, the first initiative is what we call heritage events. Heritage events is centered around creating these really interesting environmental slash events, experiences, I'll call them experiences that creates bridges into nature. Understanding that BIPOC community and how culturally and festive 
that we are and and how we all come into nature very different and very creative and very unique. And so these heritage events, experiences are just that. And what does this look like? This looks like only calendar year, we would highlight various different types of cultural or cultural engagements that gives us an opportunity to create experiences around holidays that celebrates people's backgrounds. And conceptually, that turns into and some form of an environmental justice slash experience. A good example is we have, say, like we have the Martin Luther King's birthday come up or Black History. I would basically work on the behind the scenes. And there's a bridge here in Portland, Oregon called the St. John's Bridge. And I would work in partnership with Forest Park Conservancy. And we would collectively raise enough money to basically get the permits to basically lock up the entire bridge here in Portland. And we will lock up the entire bridge in Portland and we would basically create a reenactment of the Selma March. And so when that day comes, we would make relationships with um, a couple of the churches here in Portland, Oregon. We'll send out notices throughout all the communities in Portland, Oregon to come out on this day. And so this day looks like we will have three to four speakers and three to four speakers, including myself. We maybe have a senator. We have a minister, a preacher there, and everybody would speak. And then we have a, a like a, a gospel ensemble that will show up. And it's just gorgeous because right now we got the whole bridge on lockdown and everything's at quietness. And so you got this gospel choir right there on the bridge and mm-hmm. they're singing two to three songs. It's just beautiful and echoing into a crowd of maybe like five to 600 people. And then we go to silence. And then after that silence, we'll all lock up hand to hand, shoulder to shoulder. And we'll walk this bridge in the spirit of the Selma March. And then on the other side of the bridge, this experience leads itself into the trails of Forest Park. And so this bridge will lead you into the trails. And so this march is marching into nature. Mm. And so we're marching into nature and we're exploring the trails. We got a designated trail that's been established by Forest Park for that day. We're calling like the Black History Trail or the Martin Luther King birthday trail, et cetera. And you go down this trail and there's little milestones along the way of markers that will allow people to learn different history points of black history or Martin Luther King's birthday, et cetera. And that whole trail is like, maybe like, it's like a half a mile long and it holds different history markers all the way through. And so that's the kind of experience what Heritage Events does is that we look to create really interesting type of environmental experiences that helps create bridges for communities to step into and to engage into the outdoors on a very, very basic entry level and to create a good time, good memories with the families, relatives, grandma, et cetera, and to enjoy in a festive way. And we do these heritage events throughout the year that will, and these heritage they would be like Martin Luther King, Black History Month, Native American, LGBTQ, Veterans Day, and it goes on throughout the year. And that's part of Love is King's engagement and helping to create safe spaces on the basic entry level of just getting out and just like taking a walk down a trail. That's it. you know. And then the second initiative is Love is King Operation Rome. 
And that's centered around focusing around BIPOC leaders that are in different professional spaces that has an interest, not just to recreate in the outdoors, but an interest, an interest of bringing the voice into congressional spaces because we were never invited into those spaces historically. And so Love is King works towards treating BIPOC advocates of public lands, freshwater, wildlife, and indigenous communities through that initiative program. And when they come out of that initiative program, they are paired with a white conservation group that are looking to move forward into creating uh, more type of working relationship spaces around their campaign, their work. And we collectively work and we bring BIPOC voices to decision-making tables as leaders and help have these conversations when it comes to uh, developing or planning rules, regulations, bills passed amongst senators, et cetera, where your voice matters because historically it was always one white voice led to make these decisions, knowing that we live in a world of many diverse communities and they're making decisions on how we recreate. So today we're trying to change that with Through Love is King by bringing more diverse leaders with their talents and their skill sets and their experiences into these intimate conversations around decision makers to help make these decisions collectively to where the interest of making these decisions is not just from a white lens, but now it's from diverse lens. And so, and that's, you know, and so that's the second part of Love is King's work is creating BIPOC leaders into environmental justice advocates that help step into these spaces and play a higher role when it comes to our bills being passed, regulations and rules, et cetera, on our parks or our wildlife refuge, et cetera. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. both of those programs together sound fascinating. I mean, I think for the second one, I love that you're tying it into civic engagement. Even like what you, what you have on the website, like the under Let Freedom Roam, you say we believe that the freedom to roam in nature is a basic human right. And so right. imbuing people through Operation Rome with that to know that they can also be advocates for the land, for the, you know, wherever that they're at, I think is, is a really great thing. The heritage events also sound dope. I mean, it's funny you mentioned the, the march. I don't know if you know, I'm from Selma. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) so, so as you, that speaks right to your vein right there. (laughs) So as you mentioned, like, you know, the bridge and closing everything down, I'm like, yeah, that's, it's funny. I've walked across Edmund Pettus bridge uh-huh. So many times that, I mean, like as a kid, like it's, as an adult, I would say I get the meaning of it, but like I, I walk across that bridge so many times as a kid, like it had no meaning. It's just like, oh, we got to get to, there's a bait and tackle shop. It's like a convenience shop on the other side uh-huh. of the bridge. So you'd walk, you go through downtown, walk over the bridge, get to that, whatever. But I've walked across that bridge so many times and knowing the historical aspect of it, of course we know because we live in Selma. So we know about the marches and what that means and the significance and I'm glad that you're sort of recreating that with these heritage events. Cause one yes. thing that, that sort of struck me, like when I moved out of Selma, when I moved here to Atlanta is yeah. how many people had no idea what that was. This yeah, is of yeah. course prior to Avery Duvernay Selma prior to, I think probably the just increased awareness around it given movements like Black Lives Matter, et cetera. But like right. I remember touching down here in Atlanta in 99 and talking to people and they thought I was from Salem, Oregon. 
They had never heard of Selma, (laughs) didn't know what it was about, had not heard of the bridge. I was like, how do you not know about this? It's history. But I was like, well, maybe it's history because I grew up there. I don't know. But (laughs) I love, I love the transference of that into other spaces and how you're tying in these conservational efforts into civic engagement. I think that is, is a super powerful thing. Yes. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's uh, definitely uh, a lot of work, <laughs> but, but it's beautiful. And, and it's the outcome is, is just grand. It's phenomenal, you know, and, and seeing the work that we're doing through love is King is pretty, pretty awesome. I, I enjoy what's happening with the organization and how things are forming. It's really mm-hmm. awesome. And I have to say, you know, this is also something that you spoke into being from when you were last on the show. When I had you back on the show in 2017, I asked, like, where do you see yourself in the next five years? And you talked about kind of building this sort of outdoor educational experience. And that's what it sounds like you're doing through Love is King. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I didn't know it was going to be Love is King, though. But now it is. Love is King. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting of. You know, as an entrepreneur, you know, sometimes you don't know, but you can sit back and try to, I guess, allow that creativity and and how that speaks to you and be able to follow through with whatever speaks to you soulfully. And there's a lot of power and energy with that. Right. And it manifests itself into into something only if you can allow it, though. We can very well block it, you know, by Mm -hmm. many different Many different things that comes into our lives, even not just happen things come in our lives, even mentally, we can mentally block it and just turn away from it. But that's, I really believe like when, if you can sit with something and let it manifest itself in the right way, it's going to turn into a, a reality. It's kind of like, like in design, you know, you work on concepts and sketches and your concepts and you have your proof of concept and then you go into your execution. It's, a, it's similar. It's only difference is that you're, you're working with manifestation and how that manifests into something that's speaking. And you may not have an understanding of where it's going to go and how it's going to evolve, but allowing it to work through you will have its own way of creating a proof of concept into an execution and then and doing what you need to do. But yeah. Over these past, you know, six years since you've been here on the show, how would you say you've evolved as like a creative and as a person? I think I have evolved very, I found myself evolving, involving into a, a more of a creative strategist type of space mindset. And with the skill sets is something that evolves over as you're growing and moving through but it's the strategy that's very important to me. And I think there's a place when you just first start out and you're really hungry and you want to create and you want to do this and, and you're just really giddy about it. And, and that comes with the program that comes with, the, you know, the whole process. But the older you get, the wiser you become. And so you start to learn how to tame that giddiness and learning how to sit with that, going back to what I was talking about, that manifestation and, and how it comes out, you know, but now my manifestation is really taking deep thoughts and being really more and more strategic in how I use my creative talent into what I am embarking on, you know, instead of me 
you know, running fast. Now I'm running a little bit slower and really taking much more a deep, probably a holistic type of approach and thinking a little bit much more deeper how this is going to not just work for me, but also to work for others. My roots are definitely into that natural green space of healing and connecting to nature. And so, you know, I think it it all aligns, but my involvement today of who I am today is more of a um, deeper strategist, you know, around uh, the creative process and more intentional in what I'm wanting to embark on and do. And yesterday, six years ago, it was a little bit different, you know, of me kind of running and gunning, but now it's more of me not running and gunning. It's me more sitting with it and being more strategic and thoughtful, holistic, and shooting for something that's going to be impactful in what I'm doing that's going to affect people positive and help people. Now, I'm sure that throughout the work that you've done and the people that you've talked to and the places you visit, you probably have picked up a lot of just like advice, life advice, et cetera. What are a couple of pieces of advice that you find yourself kind of continually coming back to? The biggest advice that comes to me a lot, and I had this conversation just recently with a colleague of mine who was one of the, actually, you know, one of the camera operators uh, with Black Waters and also the senior editor of Black Waters was Dudley Edmondson. And he's a phenomenal creative himself, a phenomenal photographer. If anyone has not even done research on Dudley, you know, he's actually one of the sought after African-American wildlife photographers in history. You go into encyclopedia books and and different educational books by the government, et cetera. That's pretty fine. A Dudley Edmondson photograph of a wildlife bird or animal. Basically, you know, but he's a phenomenal. He's been in the business as a wildlife photographer for many, many years. Now he's a filmmaker as well. And we had these conversations about, well, he's having conversations with me centered around team and the power of team. And I know this very well with my background in the military. You can't do anything just by yourself. It takes a team to be part of that same process to make things work. You can do it by yourself and thinking that you're doing it and thinking you are the unicorn. But the reality is that you're really just kind of tapping that surface. But if you open that up to others and create that kind of team, the work that you're doing is actually much more stronger now than you, but it, and it still includes you and it puts you on a different level. But the work is much more powerful. And so he constantly had these conversations with me a lot. And really it's, it's these conversations around the spaces that we're in as black creatives. And rather if you're in the corporate world or the outdoor world, if you are in a space that you are moving and you're making change and you are a decision maker as a creative, a black creative, there is a responsibility if should you choose to take on, it's by choice, but there's also a responsibility that if you choose to take on that by opening up those opportunities of other Black creatives that could be part of the process of what you're trying to accomplish that can make you much more stronger and impactful instead of just being the unicorn. 
And that's something that that's very more this coming from a trained mindset as Delhi would speak to me. He has a lot of wisdom and he's much older than me. I really listen to a lot what Delhi is saying to me, especially being black in outdoor spaces and being creative, which is very, very little of us. But as he said, you could be that unicorn, but it's so, so important to allow and open that space up for a team and showing those people just as much as showing yourself, because that's a stronger presentation in many different other eyes beyond the diversity lens. And people need to see and understand and know that it's not just you. It's you and many other people that are there that are doing the great work. They are creative and they're thriving. And that's the presentation that you want people to see. Having the presentation of one unicorn is a pat on the back. It's fine. But having a stronger presentation of a team of fellow creatives that are owning different spaces, that's a powerful movement. That's a powerful presence that people need to see that's beyond that diversity lens. He's constantly drilling that in me, you know, and he says, Chad, you're in a position and a great position to where, yes, you got this. Yes, you could do this. Yes, you did. you're the unicorn, but you're also in that position to show the bigger presentation, the bigger presentation of a force, a force to be dealt with when you are in that force of others that are creative and that are also owning different spaces. That makes you much more of a powerhouse. Believe it or not, that does make you a powerhouse. And that makes that team a force to be dealt with, you know? And, 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 and so, you know, and he, he keeps on bringing that up to me a lot, you know? And so I'm starting to really implement that into a lot of the work that I do and sharing and trying to share that space as much as I can to spread is that it's not about me. As a creative, we can easily take that ownership. But as a wise creative or a someone who's lived in a life as, you know, when I'm looking at Deadly, is that, you know, ain't nothing being taken away. What you're doing is you're creating a force to be dealt with. You're creating a stronger presentation that not just we've been here, but we are thriving. And it's great to be able to share that space with fellow creatives, especially upcoming folks to step into that space, especially in the outdoor world. It wasn't just one lesson to to give you, you know, there's many lessons here, you know, (laughs) but that's some of the mentoring that I've had from Dudley. And, you know, I've been in the world for a bit. He's been in the world longer than me. He's doing great and he spreads that word. And I think in that conversation, it's, we do have as black folks, and I definitely experienced, I'm not for sure about you, but it's that crab barrel theory. And, and that crab barrel theory is that, you know, when you look at uh, in a barrel of crabs and you got that one crab that's trying to climb up and get out, what happens is another crab comes up and basically pulls you back down. Mm-hmm. And we do that to ourselves a lot, especially amongst our own communities. We do that a lot where jealousy sets in to whatever arrogance and whatever, all this kind of stuff in which it it actually ties into mental health. And that's another conversation. But when we can able to operate and align ourselves 
in the right space, in the right light with our creative intentions and how we move our creative intentions and creating other spaces for others, et cetera. It does acquires us to be unselfish in that space and to allow people to step in and to make things much stronger and better. And we have to be able to be able to celebrate that at the best, highest way. And for others, the more we can learn about how we celebrate one another, the end product becomes much more stronger, not just as a community, but also as a professional community and a stronger presentation of legions that we are creating for others to be able to follow and be inspired by. But that takes a lot of work and it takes it starts off. It takes like myself and others who really understand that it's not about bringing that brother or bringing that sister down. It's about upholding that brother and that sister and letting them rise up even higher than you. You can still share that space, but rise up higher than you because the, at the end of the day, you'll look at it as a force to be dealt with. And that's the presence that we want to be able to portray and put out in front of the world of who we are and how we move through this world. What does the future look like for you? Like when we last spoke, you spoke love is king pretty much into existence. Like what do you want the next chapter of your story to be? I think the next chapter of my story, I'm definitely, I'm going to find myself taking deeper dives into storytelling in the outdoors through film. There's a lot of stories that needs to be told that's not told. And there's so many inspiring and moving stories uh, of BIPOC that has yet to be to be uh, looked underneath the hood and, and see what's happening with the stories there. You know, you look at indigenous nations and I find myself spending more time with indigenous nations and especially around the murders and the rapes of Native American women in all those uh, cases that goes cold all the time. And so I would love to find myself taking deeper dives into documentary work around that and exposing and bringing that further into not just a a section of the conservation, but bringing that into a mainstream. Again, getting people to rally around those kind of topics. And the more we can rally around, the more we can have conversations, the stronger the army that we have to come together as the people to be able to fight that higher power and bring justice to where justice needs to be served. But I definitely see myself in that next chapter of moving through the conservation space, using creativity as a way of not just developing stories, but finding justice and bringing that to a head as it should be, basically. So I I think that's where my next step is, is, is we'll be taking a deeper dive into filmmaking and going in that direction of bringing BIPOC stories to a stronger stage where people could be able to learn and be engaged and be inspired. And then also finding justice where justice needs to be served on, on the ones that needs justice in their lives. And that helps folks find healing period. Yeah. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about, you about the film about your nonprofit works like where can they find that online you can find my personal work of photography and film work is i have my personal site which is chattelcreative.com and my organization soulriverinc.org loveisking.org and then the film could be found at blackwatersfilm.com 
and you'll find a lot of the updates of uh, where the film's going to be seen. And then we'll have a, also a release date when that will be available also online as well. But you'll be able to find all that information on the, on the Black Waters film site. All right. Sounds good. Chad Brown, thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, when I had you on the first time, I was talking about just how inspiring your story was. And now that you've been able to come back and talk about the work that you're doing, I think it's it's such a needed thing in this kind of current time, especially as we sort of emerge from this pandemic. Like one thing about that period of time is that there was this sort of, or at least it felt like there was this call back to nature of some sorts. It felt like it was a, a big reset in some ways. Cities slowed down, people slowed down, et cetera. Right, and I think right. that the work that you're doing here around having people get in touch with nature as well as tying that into sort of civic engagement, you know, this is a, a design podcast. So somebody that like uses Figma might listen to this episode and think, well, what does this have to do with me? I think what you're doing illustrates is that designers as problem solvers can do more than just like electronic visual design problems. There's bigger Absolutely. problems that you can take your skills and apply to to really sort of change communities and change the world. So absolutely, you know, thank you so much for for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. I really appreciate the opportunity again. And thank you. It was definitely um, a good experience of connecting again. And thank you very much for this opportunity. Really appreciate it. Big, big thanks to Chad Brown. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Chad and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is supported by Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They are always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is supported by the School of Visual Arts BFA Design and BFA Advertising Programs. SVA values originality and critical thinking while providing students an immersive learning experience with their faculty of industry experts. The BFA Design Program empowers students with the tools and opportunities to shape the future of design. And the BFA Advertising Program equips students with the skills in media and new tech needed to excel in the advertising industry. Learn more at sva.edu and enroll today to join one of the most influential artistic communities in the world. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are courtesy of Brevity and Wit. If you like this episode, please let us know. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter slash X, uh, just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you could follow us on Spotify, we're on Amazon Music, uh, or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Or even better still, leave us a voicemail message on our hotline. The number for that, 626-603-0310. 
As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.